Welcome to BrainWorks Talks, challenging views on mental health and neurodiversity. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, thanks for joining me. Uh, this is the first of hopefully many podcasts that I'm going to do, and it's about neurodiversity and living well with it. Um, the main the main thread through everything will be the hidden qualities of being neurodiverse. So that's something that we'll we'll come to at some point through this conversation. Um, so. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Danny Lloyd. Um, he's a fabulous person. I've known him for a little while now. Um, and um, he actually suffered a stroke. Um, how many years ago was it now, Danny? Um, well, I had, I've had two actually. I had one a long time ago mm-hmm. and a bonus one <laughs> um, in 28 years ago, 2013. Right. Which, which was a major one then. So, so actually, this is what we're, um, and this is what we're going to be talking about, just kind of where, where you were before and, and where you've come to, yeah, you know, what happened and then what, where you've come to now, because that's what we really want to do is ex- explore the, um, the possibilities that we can have once, you know, should something happen to us or living with different neurodiversities. So I'm going to hand it over to, to Danny and you can just tell us a little bit about the person you were before. Yeah, um, I to go back to what I said um, a minute ago, I had a stroke at 22. Um, and prior to that, I was um, a gym obsessed um, bodybuilder, I suppose. It was, you know, going to be my life. I'd made my mind up. That's what I was doing. Um, I did it competitively once. And then I think about six months after, I had this strange illness, which was then proven to be a like a small stroke I'd had from a clot because I've got, it's actually a blood clotting disorder. Um, that was diagnosed then. Um, that would be another podcast in itself. <laughs> It'd go on and on. But um, so then that was like quite well managed. There's no cure to it, but it is treatable for about 17, 18 years, I think. And then it went haywire unbeknownst to me over Christmas in 2012. Um and I sort of had what I thought was like a bug or something like that. I felt a bit rough. Then I went to bed New Year's Eve, got up to use the loo, probably about five in the morning or something, and collapsed in the bathroom. Um, got blue lighted to the old French A hospital, which is a neuro hospital at the time. Um, and I got admitted and ended up being in there for four months or three to four months as an inpatient. And then three, sorry, two to three months as an outpatient in rehab. So all in all, I went in on New Year's Day, 2013, and didn't come out again. <laughs> didn't come out again till the end of June, I think. Wow. So it's like quite a long old time. Um, but the stroke was obviously the initial and the main thing. But then because of the condition, it all like spiraled out of control. It was almost like a perfect storm of bad health if they not on top of each other um but in terms of like the neuro stuff my brain injury as it is caused by the stroke was quite um specific it's like in the cerebellum which yeah. obviously you you're probably aware of what it is i don't know if your listeners will be um but it sort of more or less affects your motor not motor function but your control like um my balance is shocking like really bad and I got some coordination issues put myself in the eye quite a lot quite a lot um things like that um 
but quite unusually, I didn't have any cognitive impairments. Um, well, not as I'm aware of, but, uh, <laughs> but um, like now it's actually like a really good thing because I can you know, reflect on things and work things out for myself. But initially that was probably what made it harder because I was so aware of what I couldn't do early on. Um, as an example, I think when I was first sort of come around from, you know, being acutely ill, I couldn't um, sit on a bed without sort of falling. It was almost like being, you know, a really young child, like a baby almost. I literally couldn't sit up right, right falling. Um, and then it sort of gradually sort of went from there. But I think what made it worse is the fact that because I was aware of it, I was terrified of falling over all the time, which made me sort of really tense, which ironically made me fall even more because <laughs> um, because you're just so like uptight um, and try not to fall. You know, you fall. It's like that's it's like that old saying you say, oh, you know, don't do that because of this. And so the first thing you do is that. It's that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But um, some things I know I found quite frustrated like the whole thing was frustrating because I'd gone from being like a you know a gym guy for years on and off I did martial arts for years then all of a sudden that it was gone sort of thing really I remember being in a gym in like the rehab unit I was a guy there um became quite good friends he was affected really badly cognitively and physically he was okay so we were like sort of opposites in that sense yeah. And at the time, I couldn't understand with my own sort of thinking why he could do like just stand up and sit down on his, you know, just so easily. And I couldn't do it. And yet the guy, he didn't know what his own name was. And he couldn't remember his family. He was all quite sad. His son, he couldn't remember any of that. Yet yeah. he, could, he could stand up, sit down, do all things physically. I couldn't do. Um, and that used to like drive me mad because in my own logical way, I think, well, he didn't know who he is, but why can he, not as they're even related, but why can he, you know, function? And I can't, because I was like sort of hyper aware of what I couldn't do. Um, and an another example like that is when it was suggested I might want to go to Headway, which obviously I know yourself and Mark are involved with. Um, and the first time I went, it was just literally to go and have a look to see if I thought I'd like it. I remember going, and I think it was in the summer, and it had cricket week or something. Yeah. And it was at a French A cricket club. And I remember going literally just to sort of watch and see what was going on. I remember going, and it's quite funny, it sounds a bit wrong to say. And I remember going and thinking, I'm not going to come here. I don't look, look at the estate of these people. You know, I, I'm, like, I'm nothing like any of them. And I sort of sat and watched, and I was sort of thinking, this is just all wrong. And then someone said, oh, do you want to join in? And I was like really reluctant thinking, I don't want to get involved with this mob, you know? And then, so they said, oh, why don't you go wicketkeeper or something? And I went and just about managed to get there and stand there. And I think the first ball come in, the batsman missed, <laughs> completely missed. It went rolling past me and I couldn't do anything. And the ball was about 20, 30 foot behind. And I couldn't run. I couldn't, and it took me about, for 10 minutes to like stagger along to get it and when I finally got it and threw it you know hopelessly I remember thinking hang on a minute perhaps I do sort of fit in here really 
And even though how I was was very different to other people, in a lot of ways, it is exactly the same. Um, but then again, with Headway, I, I think I was probably there about a year, 18 months. And then I sort of left to do other things then because I, I'd got a lot from it over that period. But then I think because it was more aimed, in my opinion, like aimed more cognitively, you know, affected people. There wasn't much for me to do there. And I found, you know, other things outside of there that I could sort of progress with. Um, But, you know, other things they do are are very good. um, And the social aspect is sort of part of the reason I went because I was at home on my own, you know, day after day. And just the thought of getting out and meeting people, you know, was quite important, like the social sort of stuff. Um, That was quite a big thing. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, that as well, that kind of because your life changed so, mm. so much. So all the things that, you know, it's interesting that it took so long to go, you know, to go and grab the ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, so your your whole life was very, very mm. different from probably it when it was, you know, when it was with your friends. Mm. And so it is about then reevaluating, like, you know, how is how's your life going to be now, you know, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and how getting, having people around you that understand that, that was quite, that's really quite a significant thing, wasn't it? Even though they had different, they had cognitive impairment or, mm. or whatever, the principles were still the same. It was still, you know, that there was a difficulty to overcome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I just thought of something else actually, when, I suppose it's like a degree, sounds now like a degree of arrogance, I suppose. And because of my, you know, sporting sort of background, you know, I was never brilliant, but I was, I, I was all right at what I did. Um, I remember being the first time I had like neurophysio rehab was actually when I was still on the ward and the, the physio came around. She was very good, actually, really nice, sort of easy going, like my sort of person and quite sporty herself, I think. And she said, well, I thought we'd um, start doing some exercises, you know, going forward, um, just to sort of see where you're at and like, what, where we can get you. And I remember thinking in my mind, oh, it's going to be <laughs> like the films when you think I'm going to be in the gym, or, you know, I'm going to have the bars, you know, you see walking around. And I was all ready to go sort of thing, sat there in my tracksuit. <laughs> no, 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 I was all like, you know, had all this idea of what to do. And she, I think it was a Friday. And she said, oh, I've got this for you to, to do, to get you started ready for Monday. And I, and she gave me a sponge rugby ball. I remember thinking, what? Like, what is that? <laughs> and she went, um, that's going to, I want you to practice something over the weekend. And if you get on okay, you know, we'll try something else on Monday morning. And I remember thinking, you know, what's this about being really disappointed? She put it on my lap and said, I want you to, pass it around your waist while you're sitting on the edge of the bed and you know and don't drop it and don't fall over I remember thinking oh this is why stupid is this how easy is this and I couldn't do it I couldn't do it at all and it kept I couldn't just pass the ball around my waist and then I remember thinking oh okay right perhaps um perhaps this is a bit more <laughs> a bit more difficult than I thought but because of that determination thing and you know not being affected cognitively I was I think I was partly mixed up in being really angry at the world 
and frustrated, but also because I had that determination thing and being bloody stubborn, I thought I'm going to do this. And I think I did it almost, you know, obsessively for about two days. So I could do it by the, by the time she came back on Monday. I was probably really tired by then, but um, I'm sure I slept in between. But um, yeah, it drove me mad. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why I couldn't do these sort of really easy things. Um, and it, it sort of went on from there, really. So where do you, when do you think that kind of acceptance came in of um, how life was going to be? You know, that's actually a really good point. And I think a lot of people I've spoken to since, you know, in similar situations, I think having acceptance is a, has to be like a genuine acceptance. Yeah. I think about twice, I think I had convinced myself I'd accepted my situation and I hadn't. Um, And then I was always really disappointed with things. Um, You know, kept pushing, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm all right with this now. And then, something would happen I think no I'm not actually I'm not all right with this but then over time it was like became you know I naturally sort of got to that point but I think I don't think there's any sort of specific time scale I think it's very individual but it has to be genuine and I think a lot of people I know I certainly did like I just said you try and convince yourself you're okay with it when you're not and that's like a real difficult thing. And when it comes, you know, you, you just are all right with, you know, who you are and, you know, wh- what you are really. Um, a big thing for me, because it was all like physical stuff was, um, it still makes me laugh now, it was when I started learning Tai Chi, which I've been doing for like seven years now, I think. Um, I found a guy in Bristol who's a teacher and through like sort of talking to his wife initially or like arranging a meeting his son had suffered a brain injury so he was very familiar you know with that sort of thing Mm. and yet when it was actually a psychologist a neuropsychologist in rehab who used to practice karate and because of my bits of martial arts sort of stuff he said to me oh i think you'd like to like tai chi because he said he'd injured himself his wrist or something doing karate when he couldn't train, he said he practiced Tai Chi instead. And he said, why don't you have a sort of go at it? And I, <laughs> I remember it because when he first said, I was like really insulted because I'd done this like quite suppose, hardcore martial arts. I did, did judo and different bits and pieces, just like quite full on. Everything I did was like quite full on to the point where I get battered and think, oh, oh I must be having a good day because I got, you know, got battered. It was, it was always like a bit weird, really typical macho bloke rubbish, I suppose. If I, had a, if I had a bruise or a cut, I'd think it was good. You know, he's like that sort of, it's dumb, really. But he said, oh, why don't you try um, Tai Chi? And my initial thing, I still remember it now, I said, I'm not effing doing that. It's for all, I'm not doing exercise for all people, I said to him. <laughs> and he, and he, was, he was all in his own time. He wasn't even like a physiotherapist. He was a psychologist yeah and he sort of said more or less calm down you know meet me in the gym like after on on the like rehab unit or when i finish where it's all in his own time after work and i'll come and spend 10 minutes doing it see what you think i remember going there and sulking sort of thinking if he's not <laughs> if he's not here in five minutes i'm going i'm not hanging around here waiting for this rubbish 
no like this and he came in and I must have had a face like thunder and he said right we'll try something it was something really simple and I had a go at it and I think it was probably the first time I'd done something independent of you know being told what to do in terms of like a clinical sort of setting and within about 10 minutes I thought this is brilliant um and then like he sort of said you know just try a few things like that and see how you get on and um you know I obviously did I can't remember too much about it apart from that a bit and then when I was discharged I remember trying to find someone you know who could I could sort of take it forward with really and my uh, teacher now, Mark uh, Leonard, he runs a club and has, you know, has been doing it for a long time. Um, and he's, he's brilliant. And like what his knowledge is of and how it, you know, things function and work, because the main principle of it is sort of balance, really, which I'd never really, never really understood and control, like control um, and doing because th- obviously, you know, most people know it's done slowly in bits and pieces, but. There's so much to it I didn't know about. It's like, and it's sort of to me, um, every martial art I've done it could be done within it. It's like absolutely massive. And they sort of come out with things that you, <laughs> when you first hear them, they're almost off putting. I remember him showing me something and sort of practicing things and him saying, Well, if you practice this like for long enough, you could, you know, get the habit of this and we'll move on. Someone say, how long do you have to do that for then to be quite good? And he went, oh, about three years. And I remember thinking, what? I'm thinking, I'm thinking he was joking. He went, what? no, it will take about three years to be able to do that properly. And it is like that. But now I find the more you know, the more you want to know. And like just little things, like it, it still makes me laugh now. Like things I do remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Like how fussy is this bloke? I cannot believe it's that fussy. I remember complaining to him once saying, this is just stupid, it's fussy. And he just, he's got such a nice way around. And he just said, no, it gets much fussier than this. I remember thinking, how can it possibly get any fussier than this? And since then, I think, oh my God, it is getting fussier and fussier. (laughs) But it's it's an interesting, because I've done, Mm. I've only done a few Tai Chi Mm. classes. Mm. I did that because I had, problems with my back and I mm. thought well that'd be really good mm. and I remember I had to go quite far to get to actually go to one it was across town or something mm. um and I remember the first time and I've got a really busy brain so actually mm. shutting my brain yeah, down yeah. Quite, quite difficult and I'm stood there and we're in silence and yeah. I'm desperately <laughs> not try, mm. trying not to giggle because for me it was so I felt really actually mm. uncomfortable and awkward mm. And they're all really, really, you know, and there was people there that had broken their backs and, mm. you know, couldn't walk. But now with Tai Chi has, has mm. completely kind of changed their, yeah. their abilities, you know, and it does take a long time and it's quite a skill mm. and an art, isn't it? But it, it is interesting. Mm. And I think like those things you said then, like they, they do a bit of the beginning, which is like a lot of the Chinese arts will incorporate other things. And I think, it's um, the name makes me laugh. It's like called qigong. Yeah. It's a bit like like relaxation, and yeah. probably the bit you were saying about it is when you literally stand still and you're like stand in a posture. And I think when I first went, he said, "We'll just sort of we'll start simple. We'll do about two minutes." And I remember thinking, two minutes—that's hardly worth doing. And I think he like 
read like set my posture properly but i think after about 30 seconds i was trembling i couldn't keep still and i remember thinking oh my god this two minutes is so long um and then you just gradually build that up over time and i think it teaches you to sort of slow down and not be so sort of impatient um and that you know now it's taken me you know seven years i think i said when a Chinese guy who's like his he's actually from the style of Tai Chi is his, his actual family and to see him do it is unbelievable it's like watching Bruce Lee do something it is like that sort of good yeah and if that because it's actually a martial art which I had no idea yeah. about and he's so impressive this guy and and I think that when he comes he comes once a year you know in normal times and he does that standing sort of uh, Qigong stuff for an hour and when I first went, as I said, I could do about five minutes. And over time, it's built up and built up. And like last couple of years, I managed to do like the full hour sort of thing. Oh, but it's like really hard. And like you said just now, the hardest thing I think is is switching your mind off. Because early on, I sort of stood there and I'm thinking, yeah, there's internal dialogue, you know, yeah. and I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Whereas just stood here like a little Wally's. <laughs> you know, and, and then then you like the other part of your mind saying, "Shut up, just just shut up and get on with it." And then your other mind comes back in, you know, saying like a bloody psychopath, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you know, saying this is stupid. Why don't you just move around, go and do that? And it's like sort of getting that part of your mind to shut up, basically. And over time, I actually quite enjoy it now. It's actually quite nice, and yet that's taken five years to get to that point, you know, and, and, you know, to like get, keep your own mind quiet, but it's really hard. That's like the hardest bit, I think. Yeah. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Cause that's, um, you know, if, if what had hadn't have happened to you, mm. you would never have, have sort of tried it. And no, no, definitely. No, no way. No. The other thing, isn't it? That, that actually, you know, being open-minded and it's one of the things I guess that we take for granted yeah. um, when we're kind of living our lives that we can just go and, and do stuff. And, and sometimes that's, that goes against us really because we, we don't actually open our mind enough. But when we're faced with some adverse, uh, you know, adversity, mm. it, it's actually, you know, well, we're going to have to try different things because what yeah. we assume is going to work isn't going to work so we need to look in different directions yeah definitely that because um i just thought of an example when when i was like leaving rehab they like to get you to do like a small project and before you you know, get discharged or you know or released from jail as i said um you they like you to do a talk you know on on you know on a, on a particular subject and when i was like first deal i was doing judo at the time so I did this talk on judo and up until even up until when I left, I was convinced I could go straight back to doing judo. And my friend um, used to be my coach and like other friends and stuff over the years, you know, all do judo. And I was so sure I was going to go back to doing it. And I actually went to the club. Um, I think I think my friend might even pick me up and sort of took me down for a morning. And I remember really struggling to get up three steps to like go into the room where it was taking place and all the mats were down on the floor and I remember just watching I think it was like he was teaching kids at the time and then when it finished he sort of said why don't you take you know take your socks and shoes off and just 
have a walk around on the mat, like just sort of get a feel for it again. I remember doing that. And because it was obviously, I don't know, inch and a half thick mats, like not particularly thick, but because it was soft, I couldn't even walk on the mat. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you know, and yeah, up to that point, I remember thinking I was so sure I'd be back doing it, you know, in no time, just no, no grip of like reality at all. Like in, in that sense. Um, but I guess again, it shows that, I, I say it quite a lot it's like being like stubborn like stubborn persistence where you just keep pushing yourself and convince yourself you can do something which in the right sort of situation is a good thing but I was doing it initially in unrealistic situations mm. and you know and that sort of stuff you know I used to go cycling and we're thinking oh yeah you know I'll get on my bike and I didn't sell it. I kept my bike in the shed thinking I'll get out on that and I'm thinking now Unless I have six foot wide stabilizers, I'm not really, I'm not really going to be have much chance of riding a, you know, a racing bike on the road. I can't be going even more scary or worse now. <laughs> but at that point, you know, I was thinking I, I'm not selling it because I'll be out riding on that soon. But just unrealistic. But did that not though also give you that hope? So give you that drive that give you, you know, what do you think it was that? Because you know, you've you've just come so far and mm. refused to let it define you. Yeah, and I, I think... You've kind of inspired lots of other people as well, and you've been, you know, you're an ambassador, aren't you, for the Stroke Association? That's right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, what what is it that, you know, I, you, you say it's stubborn enough, but it, it, there's got to be kind of, what else? I think one thing I think I eventually got, you know, despite those examples I gave you, was, you know... Um, a friend of mine who's a support worker he's been brilliant um and i still there was we're fr- like he's my support worker we've become really good friends like over over the years of doing it um because he was at headway initially then he went to work on his own um and i think he um could sort of empathize with a lot of things i was saying because of he we're sort of similar in a lot of ways i i guess and he sort of was able to sort of steer me on the right path, like on a more positive path. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you touched on it before we started recording where I'd got caught up in that thing of, you know, of focusing on the things I couldn't do anymore. And he actually said to me once, you know, um, there's a million things you can't do. He said, but there always were a million things you couldn't do, you know, and you're focusing on them instead of finding the things you can do. You know, why, why are you wasting your time worrying about a million things you you know you can't do? Focus on a few things you can do. And that cycling thing is a good example where I used to go in the winter months, we used to go to like indoor cycling, like spinning classes. And then he said, oh, I'm going to set you a challenge. Um, we'll go back to the gym and like do a little bit in the gym. And if you can like get to a certain point on a, like a gym exercise bike, why don't you... Um, sign up to do like a spinning class because he'd done spinning himself you know at home so that was what we did and we went and um, to me it gave me like um, it was hard but it gave me like a real sort of bit of with a competitive sort of edge come back and I think it took about three months to be able to you know sign up for a class and then we went and then we went every week for two years I think doing that in the like on the mornings and the lady who 
used to teach. There was a lady instructor. It's very good. She's got like um, her own business locally where she you know, does all sorts of, you know, sports and things. And she's quite driven and, you know, and very encouraging and stuff. Um, and yet over that two years, I think, like Marco went with, he was very good at spinning. And over this time, probably went as probably one of the worst in the class because I was terrified of falling <laughs> falling off this stationary bike, you know, more in front of other people, to, if I'm honest. And um, probably came close a few times. But over the two years, I'd say we, he, him certainly um, and me, we were probably like the better ones in the class over that time, mm. purely because I just got that thing back of pushing myself, I guess. And again, because it was something I could do, it didn't matter about the things I couldn't do because that became like a new focus. Um, and since then, I've, you know, gone back to the gym, which has always, you know, it always been there like through my life, really, from like a mid-teens, I guess. Um, and even though certain things I can't and I won't do that I used to do because I'm more likely to fall over or disappear out of a window or something. So I have learned to be a bit more sensible, but I find a few things I can do, you know, so I stick to them and I don't really worry about the other things. And I think as well, one thing my Tai Chi teacher said a while back, because I was getting in the bad habit of like trying to dabble with too many things, like sort of spreading myself a bit too thin. And he, he sort of, it makes hints. It's quite clever, really. It's a bit like the old Kung Fu series where he'll say something. I think he's talking in riddles and then it gradually makes sense. And he'll sort of, you know, sort of say something and he'll drop hints and wait for you to get it yourself. Because obviously it means more if you get it yourself. But he um, said, it's a real simple thing. He always said to me, um, do less, better. And that is exactly it. And I, so I had, you know, was trying to do a, know, a dozen or more different things instead of focusing on one or two, you know, and, and getting good at them. And um, yeah, and I thought that one little phrase changed loads of things. But it it's, isn't. Hmm. It's, it's one of the things that we I talk about in therapy actually, hmm. because what one of the things that we do if we do too much, hmm. then we overwhelm our brain. And yeah, yeah us back into kind of almost survival net mode yeah yeah it, it mm. can't cope with too much going on so um you know it's a great philosophy actually mm. it is do is do less but do it really well yeah oh yeah definitely and i think certainly over lockdown because like the classes and things were cancelled and he's not like he's like you know not not it savvy at all um <laughs> you know he hates it really so his, his wife you know runs all the computer stuff and that but he's really was really reluctant he's been doing like ten, uh, lessons on zoom yeah and then you know and i think now you're probably at the point where you can go and have very small classes outside and things but um so he, he was doing that and because i was on my own sort of training at home that like doing less you know better you know played brilliant because i can honestly say i think over the last 18 months I've done some form of exercise every day for like at least an hour but I literally will do perhaps because I've got <laughs> I'm quite boring so I don't mind it I'll pick like three or four exercises and do them for like an hour like you know in like a sort of circuit you know one to another to another 
and just keep say do the whole thing like five times three but i do that every day and i've seen improvements in those things yeah. doing that whereas beforehand you know i'd be thinking oh, i need to be doing this and that and like in this in this too much and i think because tai chi's quite runs on like principles there's really a few really basic principles and a lot of people go into it and want to do you know big long forms and bits and pieces and yet if you don't have the principles nailed down they don't, you you can't do the longer things anyway you know yeah. it's all and it's easy to get distracted i think which is sort of where i was going a little while back um but th- that is a key thing and i think i quite like i don't know what it says but i quite like simple things <laughs> you know because you don't have to overthink stuff and actually simple things are the the things that bring us the most joy Um, again you know going back to what i do a lot of the stuff that people come when i sort of say what's been good it's the small things in their life that have given them so much pleasure we we get caught up in this oh yeah yeah you know where we're told by so many different Mm. you know whether it's adverts or you know we start to compare ourselves to other people that comparison yeah. Um, is is you know is is really dangerous for us sometimes mm. because we then feel inadequate or not good mm. enough and things like that mm. so for you what do you what what makes what who you are now what makes your neurodiversity such a, a great quality for you what has what has it enriched in your life I think um a big thing for me was the quite early on in recovery like when I was getting better I think um I had like what was like a big perspective shift I guess because before I was ill and most of my sort of especially from a young kid even through my teens I was quite a worrier like quite an anxious sort of person I actually had a diagnosis of general anxiety disorder in my mid-teens which I didn't know I was diagnosed with that until I read my notes, you know, a few years ago. Um, I just thought I was just like, like, oh, I'm just a worrier. And that was how I sort of put things down, you know, never thinking it was actually a thing. Um, and yet I was like that right up until my second streak. And I wonder now whether a lot of it was because I was so stressed, blood pressure running high, all those sort of things. There's no way of knowing, you know, it might be, might not, but I, strongly wouldn't be surprised if that had sort of had a hand in it if nothing else yeah um but i remember thinking when i had this like perspective shift of thinking you know god you've had a lucky escape or you had like, really have got a second chance and all it was almost like instant I remember thinking what were you worried about like what were you worried about before and it was almost like you know by comparison to what i've been through all the things I worried about just seemed like insignificant. And I think it was like, it's like, um, like a weird clarity of sort of what's important. And obviously by default, you know, what isn't important. Mm. There's so many things you realize don't actually make that much difference. And yet when you're caught up in them, they can appear to be massive. Yeah. You know, in the whole scheme of things, you think, what was I even worried about? You know, you know, you know, on this side, it, it seems easy to say that. And yet when you're, you know, caught up in that cycle of anxiety and all these sort of things, 
you can't think you can't get out of it like circular thinking and stuff like that but when you do step outside of it you sort of look in and think you know what was that all about like what, what how was i like that it, it seems like you know yeah, like yeah. two separate people it's quite odd so you know, what, odd. what would be your kind of advice to somebody who is facing you know or, or you know coming to terms with and facing this kind of you know this kind of change in their you know in their life whether it be you know through a stroke but some you know neurodiversity what would be your kind of your hope for them I think um I would say is finding and doing things like for yourself um you know things that um make you tick sort of thing really and I think something I realize more is how important um being true to yourself is like being authentic if you like and it's not like something you can you know decide to be and then all of a sudden you're it it's something sort of to work towards I I guess but I think like we were saying you know beforehand it's so easy and I think through society you know we're brought up is to you know be all things to all people and if you're not careful I know it happened to me or I felt like it did before this I lost my own identity and I was all things to all people and didn't know who I was. And I think when I had that perspective shift, it was like, you know, it's actually all right to like, you know, do what's right for me. You know, I, I, I don't do great my way to like, you know, you know, harm other people. It's not like that at all. You know, it's, but it's, um, oh, another friend of mine said a long time ago, you know, when I was quite like anxious and stuff, he said to me, um, and a thing she was told, she said, put yourself first without being selfish. And I never forgot that. And I thought it's, it is as simple as that, really. Yeah, you know? it's the, it's a put your oxygen mask on before. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Sensible. yeah one of the, exactly one of the things that I love on your blog, um, on your blog site, is that you have the, the, um, the quote, isn't it? You only get two lives. Mm. The second one starts when you realise you only have one. Mm. And I think that's really, that kind of, encapsulates everything that you've been sort of saying about you know it's changed having that perspective change and 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 recognizing that you you you've got to make the most of it and you get oh, a choice mm, yeah definitely definitely yeah. and I think now I you know I read a lot more than I did and even like the writing the blog thing like some things I think are I find them quite amusing though because you know before um like stroke or however you want to put it I hated writing. I had no interest in anything, you know, artistic or creative, I guess. I was thinking, well, that's boring. That's quite dull. <laughs> and yet now I really like writing and I, re I read every morning. Um, you know, I, I get up and read. I've got like these sort of page a day sort of books, a few of them, where I literally will read, you know, like a thought for the day sort of thing, really. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I read that every morning before I do anything else. And it's like having a bit of sort of discipline, I suppose, with stuff. Um, and I think as well is, you know, with regards to neuro stuff is, you'll probably find it a lot, but when you speak to people, people have quite tight routines, you know, and I think because, you know, especially if you've got cognitive impairments and things, it's easier to follow lists and things like that to, um, you know, know what you're doing from same staff, like from one hour to the next sometimes. 
Sure. It keeps you, you know, in like a pattern. And for me, I used to have a timetable on the wall initially, like what I was doing when. And then over time, um, because I became familiar with them, you know, I was able to throw that away and, and don't need it anymore. And yet, even now, you know, eight years down the line, I still do the same things pretty much every day. But in part, I was like that before because of sports and stuff. Um, especially with like, you know, bodybuilding, which I mentioned. Mm-hmm. People say, oh yeah, you know, people look amazing. This, that, It's actually a really boring lifestyle. It is really dull because, you know, all you're obsessed with is eating and training and eating and training. And that's it. You know, I remember, you know, it, like years ago, going with, with my you know family at the time, um, like my kids are growing up now, going like down to Western for the day. For a nice day out and I must have ruined it because all I did was complain about being hungry and when I can eat next and all this walking was burning calories and all this that and other I must have had a right laugh you know a real barrel of fun you know <laughs> and yet now I think probably none of it made any difference whatsoever <laughs> yet I was so wrapped up in that like sort of boring lifestyle um but- but that's a t- that's a an ocean away from where you are now, and yeah. oh, yeah. not, your mm. life's really, you know, reading all the stuff that you do, mm. and 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 that, and and actually opening your mind to some, you know, different ways of thinking, and and being open minded actually, yeah, it kind is. Of, yeah, opened your world mm. up. I think um, one thing I came across in the last year, I think, um, you know, I you know, watch a few things on YouTube, bits and pieces. Like certain people I watch, sort of obviously fits in what I sort of think and like you know align with, I guess. And there's a, um, I don't know whether you call it like a movement or, or what you call it really, where it's called like free thinking or like independent thinking, where a bit like I said at the start, people you know will read different philosophies, even like religious texts, you know, bits and pieces, but rather than subscribing to one in particular, they'll, you know, have a broad like, understanding of all of them and pick and choose from, you know, various ones. Um, the, the bits that sort of, you know, chime with them, I guess. And apparently, and it's, apparently it's called like free thinking. So, you know, you, you sort of go between different sort of, um, in, like in my case, like I read quite a lot of philosophical sort of texts and things. Sure. But, uh, some will, I think, well, this is really good. And other bits I won't necessarily sort of click with. But then I'll, you know, go from that to another one and read something else. But the th- same sort of, uh, you know, themes run through all of them. And I think that's where the free thinking thing comes in. Like, you're not so tunnel vision, you know, this yeah. one's right and this one's got all the answers because I don't think any of them have to be honest with you. It's just, you know, like a, variation on the theme a lot of the time absolutely mm. so uh, we could talk for ages but i'm gonna have to <laughs> for a close. Yeah. Mm. But, but just on the last thing so what do you love the most about yourself now um i think because i've i'm more um i think it's because i've sort of found myself i guess is what i'd say and i'm not so concerned about what other people think you know and I realise people will think what they think anyway, whether, you know, whether I like it or not, whether I get my way to, you know, 
if make out they're amazing or you know that sort of stuff we always get this idea that how we behave will change how people think about us i think to a degree it might but usually as if you're doing people favors or doing things for them and then when you stop they change towards you i think you know now i I just sort of do what i do i didn't go out my way to upset people obviously because that's just as you know that's worse you know than, than being the other way but at the same time i sort of do what sort of fits with me more and fit other people around it whereas before i used to fit everything in and then might have five minutes for myself you know later on yeah i think you know looking back that's how i got completely lost you know with lost my identity i think you know in sort of trying to do that well, that's great. Well, it's good to know that you, um, you know, it's just so nice to hear that you, you, you've you moved yourself forward and you're actually enjoying your life mm. and, and doing what you want to do. And that's exactly what the key to life is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's just to, to have to live the best life that you can possibly live and, and enjoy it. So thank you so much, Danny. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Yeah, no, really um, good, really good. And I'm, I'm really grateful for you being my very first podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I feel honoured. It's an honour. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure we'll be we'll we'll end up having another session talking about something else at some point. So, yeah, so oh, thank yeah, you. Well, yeah. I'm sure you've worked out I'm quite a talker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it's wonderful. It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> it's good. Thanks, Heather. Okay, thanks, Danny. Mm-hmm.